Marc-Andre Fleury wants out of Las Vegas. And the Penguins... No, 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 no. Just no, don't go there. Good morning to you. Good Monday morning. I'm Dan Kovacevic of DK Pittsburgh Sports and the newly reborn DK Sports Radio Podcasting Network, which you can find on pretty much every platform in existence. All we ask in return is that you set us to auto-downloads. Makes a big difference for this little business. If you missed this over the weekend, there was some theater that was concocted by Flurry's agent, Alan Walsh. One of the most obnoxiously outspoken people in his particular line of work. And if he was working in baseball or football, or sports that are more in the mainstream in the United States, there'd be a lot of people who'd know about him and probably just as many people who dislike him. He put out a tweet, this was Saturday, that took a picture of Marc-Andre Fleury uh, in full uniform, Vegas Golden Knights, whatever, outside his crease, with a Photoshop of a sword, a long, gigantic sword going through his back and out through the front of his body, through his heart, with blood dripping from it. His agent did this. And on the sword, the back end of it, you saw the name DeBoer for Peter DeBoer, of course, the Golden Knights head coach. The implication was obvious that DeBoer had stabbed Flower in the back by starting Robin Leonard ahead of Flower, even though Leonard's statistics through the regular season and into the playoffs have been not a little bit better than Flowers, but significantly better than Flowers. The agent reacted like that. That's who this guy is. That's who he's always been. There are debates within this. Of course, did the agent act on his own? Did Flowers see this thing beforehand? Flowers, such a great guy. No way he could possibly have okayed that. We're not going to know the truth on that, probably ever. But given the flap that was created as the result of this, this was what Flower had to say yesterday in Edmonton on a completely unscheduled, unexpected press conference that was forced to happen in which he addressed this. I just wanted to say that uh, Alan's been my, my agent for a long time. I've known him since I'm 15. Uh, we're always very close. We always talk uh, about hockey or um, other things in life also. And um, I, really, I think he's a guy that always... Uh, protects or uh, cares a lot about his players and it does about me also and um, you know I, I really appreciate his, his passion for the game that he has and um, you know I think he, uh, this may be a way to uh, defend defend me into that situation um, you know for, for not playing much but um, you know I'm, I'm here to uh, to win with my team and um, 
it's of success you know and that's that's what matters and um you know so because of that i i asked him to uh to take their picture down and uh he did this morning so. now i know better than to say anything negative about mark andre fleury there aren't many if any people in the pittsburgh media that gotten to know him better than i did in his time here i was the only reporter to go up to sorel his hometown in northern part of quebec back when he was drafted i did that for the post gazette uh, spent a couple days up there got to know his family his friends his neighbors his former teammates really did like one of those classic deep dive type of stories that ended up on the front of the Sunday Post-Gazette. And I feel like over the years I've gotten to know him and trust him to the extent that if he were to tell me, looking me right in the eyes, that he never saw or never approved that image, I'd believe him. But that isn't the case here, obviously. I'm not in Edmonton. So when I hear him say it and I hear him kind of not really answer directly on that count, instead just saying that he asked Alan Walsh to take that picture down from Twitter, which Walsh did, but I mean the toothpaste side of the tube to say the least, I'm inclined to think that he did, in fact, see it beforehand. Whether or not he gave a blessing to it, I don't know. I, again, that's just kind of guessing, and nobody really wants to hear that because everybody has this pristine image of him and would never allow anything to sully it. I will say this, that when Flower was being shoved out in Ottawa by Matt Murray and by Mike Sullivan, Flower made absolutely no attempt to stay out of it. I was in the visitor's locker room when Flower lost his job and Matt Murray played, and I went to... Boy, this, this room is so small. It's, you wouldn't believe it if you, if you saw it, how tiny it is. And I was stepping over these equipment bags and everything else, and everybody else is going to the guys who played in the game. And I went to Flower because, you know, you want to hear what he has to say. It's the first opportunity to get him. He didn't for a second try something to the effect of, no, 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 no. It's, you know, go talk to the guys who play it or anything, and we'll get me in some other time. He wanted to discuss it. He wanted it public. How disappointed he was that, he'd had the net taken away from him. Now, I'll go back way before that and retell one of the stories that I found out from uh, a former teammate of his back in junior hockey, a defenseman named uh, Benjamin Cornwyer, also from Sorrell. He actually told me this story in person back when I went up there about how even as a child, a literal child, when Flower would lose his job, 
would lose the net. For whatever reason, the coach just decided to go somewhere else. His teammates could come back and find him at the rink after hours or sitting somewhere by himself vomiting. Just, just He couldn't handle it. It was so dis- distressing for him. Now find the positive in that, if you will, and it's easy. He's, he's that competitive. Um, he's that controlling of his net. He's got that much confidence. And where the Vegas Golden Knights are concerned, in a similar way to what happened to him with the Penguins, I'm sure he felt like he earned that job, that post. With the Penguins, obviously, it was over the course of several years. With the Golden Knights, it was by taking them to the Stanley Cup final in their very first year of existence. And he was, of course, spectacular in that run. He wasn't spectacular this season. The Golden Knights weren't in general. That's why Peter DeBoer is there. Gerard Gallant didn't get the job done. And DeBoer, as a head coach, has every right to choose the goaltender who he prefers, particularly when that goaltender is playing better. Vegas isn't acting out of any sort of contractual issues. Uh, If anything, you would absolutely stick with Flower because he signed for another Three years for a total of $21 million, and Leonard's about to go unrestricted. So if anything, you would lean, if this had anything to do with money, you'd lean towards your guy that you're already paying and the guy that you know is going to be there. So it's not a great situation for them. It's not a great situation uh, for Flower. It's arguably not a great situation for Robin Leonard either. Never mind that. But Pittsburgh, no. No, 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 no. Not going to happen. No chance. Two reasons for that. One, the last thing the Penguins are going to do is add a goaltender of with an even greater cap hit than what they'll lose with Murray going out, even if they were to have signed Murray to an extension. I don't think Murray's getting $7 million a year from anybody. Never mind the pandemic. I think he just played his way out of that. So you're not bringing him on for some huge chunk of money, especially not when they would be much better off applying the funds that they have and the trade assets that they have and everything else toward ensuring that they can keep the good young players that they have for years to come and find any way possible to keep acquiring younger players. And that's obviously not easy through free agency, but there's other ways to do that. The other thing, and I'll bet this is a lot bigger, is that if you bring Fleury to Pittsburgh and you think he's going to just suddenly, magically become happy backup to Tristan Jari, or for that matter, even happy partner to Tristan Jari and sharing the net, you're crazy. Then you you have no idea about what his actual history is with these things. Never mind the information that I just shared with you. There's no chance of that. There's no chance of a kumbaya thing between 
flour and jari. And I can't say this often enough. Since the penguins were eliminated and since their picture starts to, you know, at least become clearer in our eyes going into next season, that net for the 2020-21 NHL season for the Pittsburgh Penguins needs to belong to Jari. He is the number one goaltender. If that means Casey DeSmith is the backup, if that means Jim Rutherford, as he almost certainly would, will go out and get uh, another backup, another two backups, the way Jim operates. He loves to have goaltending depth. So be it. But it's got to be Jari's net. You can't have a season like what Jari just had. The breakout season that he had, the save percentages he had, uh, the consistency that he showed throughout the year. You can't have that and then tell that kid, eh, we'll see. You can't do that. You're ruining the asset. I believe he needs to get 55 starts minimum going into next season. I mean, the days of 60, 65, 70, the Martin Brodeurs and everything, that, that's that's gone. But 55 starts, and then you split the other ones, however, you know, you know you're still leaving 25 for the backup, which is a, a pretty good number. He has to be that guy. You can't be thinking about the the sappy storybook return of Flower. It, it ain't going to happen. And if anything, what just occurred with Flower, Alan Walsh, and the Vegas Golden Knights makes that an even more remote possibility than it was before. Sorry, I know everybody loves the guy. I know nobody wanted to hear any of this, but that's how that goes. When we come back, because I was at PNC Park yesterday, baseball. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Welcome back. The Pirates beat the Brewers yesterday at PNC Park 5-4 on a two-run homer by Gregory Polanco in the eighth inning. Nice, fun, dramatic stuff within context, keeping it all relative. The Pirates are also 7-17. But that capped a three-game sweep of Milwaukee, and it got these guys to smile. You know, I'm a big, big, big believer that professional athletes and big league teams collectively need to smile, need to relax, need to enjoy what they're doing in order to be successful. So seeing Polanco, the moment he struck the ball, 
look over at the on-deck circle at Jose Osuna, to whom he just told him, watch this. Watch what I'm going to do here. That's fun. That's cool. Everybody in the Pirates dugout got a laugh out of it. I don't know if the Brewers did. I don't really care. The <laughs> Pirates have had so many miseries over the first 24 games of this 60-game season that I think they're owed at least a little bit of humor that they're allowed to show out there without worrying about offending anybody or Major League Baseball's many unwritten rules. It was cool. It was, it was a lot of fun. A, a lot of different players contributed. Uh, players that you'd want to see waking up a little bit and pitching in. Some relief pitchers who've done markedly better than what we were seeing earlier in the season. Uh, Brian Reynolds, Adam Frazier, Cole Tucker. These guys all were hitting well over the weekend. Good things. Uh you know, because this is this kind of year, no way the Pirates were going to get through this without losing more people, of course. So Colin Moran and Kevin Newman went down with injuries. We'll see how the news of those guys develops over the next 48 hours before they start a two-game set in Chicago against the White Sox. But it's now 13 guys that are out, 13. I'm still hearing from people who say that that doesn't matter. They were going to stink anyway. 13 players who were supposed to be opening day roster guys. 13 players are out. So what's left here, keeping things real, is that the Pirates are still probably going to end up with the worst record in the majors. Not that it's unthinkable that they'd move up. I mean, there's other teams that are kind of floating down into their territory. The Red Sox, the Phillies, the Angels with that bazillion-dollar payroll and the best player in the game in Mike Trout. So you can't rule out anything, but it sure looks like the Pirates are heading in or staying, I should say, in that direction. The key... I think, to the remainder of this season. The most important thing is going to be continuing to just improve, uh, particularly at an individual level. Let's see the players who are supposed to be good players actually be good players. That's why I was emphasizing Brian Reynolds, who had another terrific day Sunday, part of a terrific weekend for him. You want to see those guys be who they're supposed to be. Josh Bell is kind of next on that list. He was given a day off yesterday after another 0 for 5 Saturday. I thought that was a good move by Derek Shelton because that gives him back-to-back days off, a chance to just kind of get away from the game, hopefully enjoy what everybody else was doing, uh, whoop it up a little bit, and then get going out in Chicago. Those are the kinds of things you want to see. You want to see them continuing to improve. And that goes also for the youngest guys, the ones that are up like the JT Brubakers, uh, who made a, a, a decent four-inning start considering he hadn't really been stretched out for normal starts, you know, six, seven innings. He's still working his way up an inning count, pitch count. And he gave up two runs, four hits, struck out six. It, it wasn't great. It wasn't bad. It was 
the best thing he's done so far. So that was something. In that spirit, I asked Derek Shelton after the game how much winning helps a manager and his coaching staff when it comes to teaching. And I was fully expecting him to say, oh, yeah, it's great. Instead, he gave me this. Yeah, I think that's something our players have done a really good job of. They've stayed attentive even when we, you know, haven't won games and we've had teaching points the next day or we've had them during the game. They've been very aware of it. And I think we came into it knowing that we were going to have to teach. We were going to have to try to get better. And our guys have been really good. I, and I think, like we've talked about, we played a lot of close games. You know, even before this series, we played a lot of close games. We just haven't done, you know, things. We haven't gotten hits to win them. We haven't made pitches to get them and to finish. And we did a really nice job during this series to finish. That's telling it like it is. I, I like that. I mean, again, he could have given me the easy answer because it wasn't the hardest question anybody's ever asked of a big league manager. He could have just said, sure, it's great. Yeah, we win and everybody's happy and everybody's learning more and more receptive. He didn't do that. He said, our guys have been great about this throughout. We've been able to go to them the very next day and continue with good instruction and get good results. That's really, really encouraging to hear, especially since you know it wasn't something that he felt was just saying something to say it. That means a lot. If you look at these final 33 games that the Pirates have left to play, and you think about what it is that they can achieve in those games, nothing tops that. Nothing tops individual players getting experience and improving. Now, the next step of that, I can hear you saying this, of course, is to bring up Kibrian Hayes, Jared Oliva, Blake Cedarland, uh, the handful, the very few prospects that they actually have in the Altoona Satellite Camp. Get them up here. Don't worry about service time. Don't worry about any of that stuff. It's a weird year. Just bring them up case of Hayes and others that service time thing is already a non-issue. Get them up here. Get them learning. And teach them. And watch them get better. That's going to matter more than anything. More than the stuff we saw over the weekend. When we come back, just a bit of football. second time I'll have been over there, I've mentioned to you previously that the NFL rules limit media to one individual per outlet, so Dale Lawley and I have been taking relative turns, making sure that he as the beat writer gets most of them and that I can show my face, you know, relatively speaking, underneath a mask and make sure that I'm checking out what's going on in these practices myself. This segment of Daily Shot is always brought to you by our friends at the Greater Pittsburgh 
Community Food Bank. During normal times, one in seven people in our region are food insecure, including one in five children. Not knowing where that next meal is coming from can be scary. And now with the pandemic, that need is that much greater. If you are in need of food assistance or if you'd just like to support the Greater Pittsburgh Community Food Bank, visit pittsburghfoodbank.org. Spell out those first three words, pittsburghfoodbank.org. One dollar can provide enough food for up to five meals. Good people doing good work. In any training camp setting, any sport, you're always going to hear and read and watch a lot of positive stuff. That's just how it works. Nobody's playing an opponent. Nobody's got a loss. Everybody is fixated on the positives. Not just looking for They're fixated on the positives. Everything is positive, positive, positive. And so it's been, predictably, from the Steelers' camp. Particularly as it relates to the offense. And even if we were going to say anything at all about the defense, we'd be basing it on 2019, so we'd be coming up very easily with glowing platitudes about who these guys are. I'm going to throw one wrench into that. I have a concern about the defensive line. I know that sounds silly considering Cam Hayward's on it coming off his best year. Stefan Tuitt is healthy for at least however long he's healthy. Sorry, Stefan, that's just how it is. But here's the thing. When Javon Hargrave was allowed to walk, and remember that the Steelers never approached him in 2019 about an extension. When he was allowed to walk and then he signed with the Eagles, there was this sense that I got from Steelers Nation and, and and that I had myself that the Steelers hadn't even tried to bring him back. They just, you know, realized that he wasn't going to be worth anywhere near the amount of money that Philadelphia or some other team was going to offer, and that was that. And then Javon gets on a call the day after he signs with the Philadelphia reporters, and when someone asks who else was in this, he mentions a couple teams, and one of them was the Steelers. The Steelers were right there in there. Now, on one hand, you can take that as, you know, an, uh, a sign that the Steelers were doing the right thing, that it's, it's great that they were still trying to keep a, an important player on their defense, and even though they were tight against the cap, that they still made an effort, and you can applaud them for that. On the other hand... Think about what they're saying. They did feel that this was an important part of their defense, and they were, at least to have been in any discussion with Hargrave and his agent, offering probably an awful lot of money to keep him. So what have they done to replace him since then? The answer to that is... Nothing, and I say that with respect to Tyson Alualu, who I think is a, a fine defensive lineman in the NFL who would be appreciated probably a lot more outside of Pittsburgh than he is here because he's not Hayward, he's not to it, and he's not on the field as much. 
But he's not a true nose tackle. He's not that guy who's going to be making the penetration into the backfield that Hargrave was. He's not that player, and he was already here, so nothing was done. So again, it's not a knock. It's just that they didn't actually do anything. Daniel McCullers was brought back. No one knows why. I'm sorry. No one knows how Big Dan keeps making it back, but he does. He's gigantic, but he doesn't necessarily parlay that into anything on the field. He's sent out there in situations where you absolutely need a run stuff, but he hasn't really been a run stuffer. So you have Alu-Alu and you have McCullers, both of whom were already here, neither of whom has shown to be an NFL nose tackle. Maybe that doesn't matter. Maybe we can find comfort in thinking, well, the Steelers are just going to go with certain packages like they did a lot last year where it's just two down linemen. Maybe it doesn't matter just because TJ and Bud are such a fearsome bookend on the outside that they're going to make offenses lives hell just by being out there regardless of what's coming from the middle. Maybe it doesn't matter because Devin Bush is entering his second year and Vince Williams is actually really good at getting in on the pass rush for a modern inside linebacker. Maybe these things don't matter. Maybe they won't matter. But if they don't, and if they didn't, then what were the Steelers doing offering Hargrave significant amount of money? Just something to think about this morning. As long as I'm in that mode where I'm just kind of doing some of the uh, the disturbing, if you will, on this Monday. Thank you so much for listening. I appreciate it. Your front door, your car, your gym locker, your gun. Safety is a habit. Learn more about how to keep guns safe and secure. Visit projectchildsafe.org.